0: Let's pray together. So Zimbabwe is finally rid of Mugabe. Yes. Yes. We were praying for that last Sunday, and uh, before we left here, um, uh, the news piece of news came in that you know it was like it happening it was happening. Good. Good. Let's pray for those who are sick or ill. Uh, there's a lot of, we always say this this time of year, isn't there? There's a lot of it about. Yeah. As autumn goes into winter, the, all, all sorts of bugs seem to get hold of people. And it's good to see Chris back with us who's recovered now. Others looking around, I know you've been, some of, others have been ill recently as well. But so maybe you have a, an inten- a, a kind intention towards those who may still be ill, and you can pray for them. And we pray as well for those who are still looking for employment. Uh, Colin should be going for an interview this week. Yes. yes. Let's pray for those who need work. Father, we thank you. All the affairs of the world are in your hands, our own lives are in your hands. You give people authority, and you bring them down. We thank you for the change in Zimbabwe. We pray that President will learn the lesson that tyrants can be toppled and will conduct himself wisely and generously to govern Zimbabwe. And even will accept gracefully losing the next election probably too. We pray for our friends who are ill and unwell. Remember them now. We. Put their names before you and pray that you, Lord, heal them, please. Bring them back to strength and health, family members, those we care about. And for brothers and sisters who need employment, need to change their job, need to get out of a bad job into a better job, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you will supply the needs of your children by giving them the dignity of work with their hands and with their minds. Now, Lord, please help us in considering your word. You cleanse us as individuals and your church through the washing of your word. Let that be the case today. Holy Spirit, come and teach us, we pray. Amen. I thought that today I'd be... Doing a talk on witness and mission through the Spirit, but I, as I was working on that, I was led to think that another block needed to be laid first. I'll tell you how these things work with me. I'm, I'm working away on something, and there's a thought that goes through my mind. It's, it's almost, you know, the, where you get those screens with the letters travel across, or like old fashioned ticket tape. It's like this the word, this phrase goes through my mind, and I'm thinking, nah, okay, and I'm still going on with what I'm doing, and it goes again. And I, I find. I'm not saying this is the way the Holy Spirit speaks to you, but I find that's how it gets my attention. It's like thought goes through, thought goes through, thought goes through. Until I go in, and okay, all right, I'm sorry, I'll listen. And uh, then I realized I had to deal with something this week first. So this phrase came to me, the spirit of holiness. The spirit of holiness. It comes from this scripture. Romans 1, verse 4. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. Who was declared the Son of God with power, with authority, by the resurrection of the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's interesting, there's any place there the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of holiness. But I want to use that name to explain some things today. Over three Sundays recently, as we've worked through 1 Corinthians 12-14, I've been repeatedly saying it's possible to be given gifts, and even be given as a gift, have a, a role of, a, of authority in Christ's church, and yet to fail in character. It's possible. Want an example? Samson. Do you want another one? Saul. Want another one? David. At his worst, at his lowest. There is a greater work of the Spirit than gifts and signs. It is grace applied to make us more like Jesus. The Spirit of holiness is at work in us to form godly character, Christ-like character, to make us like Jesus, to make us, and here I'm going to use the scary word, the one you're all going to go, out is holy. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to make us holy. This work of his in making us holy, making us more like Jesus, has eternal consequences. They're not just practical and temporary. They have eternal consequences for us. For in the end, we are not rewarded for gifts. We are rewarded for character. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What is the Lord commending? Character. He gave the gifts but they produced the character. What is holiness? Well, let's start with this. God is holy. What does holiness mean as far as God is concerned? What is holiness in God? Well, he is great, all-powerful, majestic. He's one. There is no one else besides him. There's no other side to God. He is one. He doesn't change. He's constant. He is good and pure and true. He is just and faithful in every way. The righteous judge cannot do anything but judge righteously. Now because he is good and true and pure, he is separate from sin and evil, and it cannot exist in the closeness of his presence. So his holiness in Scripture is illustrated to us by two elements, light and fire. Light that illuminates everything, searches out the darkest, deepest places of human life so that nothing is hidden from him. And fire that consumes all that is not good and true. We sang, we didn't sing, we saw in that video, he mends our hearts by fire. What a thought. What a thought. Fire that so cleanses that it mends. So, what is holiness in us? Well, let me spell this out to you. This is the gospel of grace, this is salvation. He has chosen us and separated us to himself, He has called us to be holy. We are His. By His choosing, by His will, we are His. We are reserved as his, set apart. We've been redeemed through the broken body and shed blood of his son Jesus. We are called his holy ones. That's saints. He calls us his holy ones. And sanctification is the process by which we begin to live the way we are called. Called saints, live as saints. Not the plaster things with halos, you know, (laughs) statues and outside cathedrals. Real people, guts, flesh and blood people living a life that glorifies God through love for God. Holy people, saints. We're connected to him, joined into Jesus and we relate to him in the whole of life and his life flows into us. There isn't one bit of life that isn't connected into God through Jesus. We're being transformed to become more like him in character. And one way that the Bible describes that is, in Ephesians, the fruit of the Spirit. He is making us holy. Let me give you a headline. Holy equals belonging to God and becoming in character like Jesus. Set apart, we are His. And because we are His, He's forming the image of His Son in the rest of His children. Jesus is the firstborn, the one we're to live up to, the one we are, we are destined to become more and more like. I want to tell you that making us holy, gathering a holy family of sons to himself, is God's passion and his purpose. God could not feel more deeply about anything else Adam in the Garden of Eden was holy. He was created pure. But rejected holiness, relationship with God, and bearing the image of God, and chose sin. To call it the fall is the understatement of the the cosmos, really. God sent Jesus, God in flesh, to bring us back, to redeem and restore us to himself. God's purpose in saving us is to restore us both to himself and to holiness, that we may live in his presence. In and through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, this process is taking place. God is restoring men and women to live in harmony with himself and to bear his image. To live in harmony with himself. That's a phrase I got out of a just one phrase I got from a systematic theology this week, just that one phrase, I thought, oh, that's great. God has saved us so that we may live in harmony with himself. Repeated throughout the book of Leviticus, which is a book about holiness, is statements like this from the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Set yourselves apart for me because I'm yours and you're mine. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. The people of the Holy One were to live in relationship with Him as His holy ones. Not only the people themselves were to be holy, but their whole lifestyle was to be holy. You go through Leviticus, their belongings Their agriculture, their animal husbandry, their business transactions, their marriages and sexual behavior, their children, their daily, weekly, monthly year-on rhythms of life. It was all holy. In fact, in Zechariah, there's even a further extension to that. Even the pots and pans were to have holiness unto the Lord. It's a prophetic picture. It's It's not literal. But it's a prophetic picture. The very ordinary things of life become, because they're handled by a people who are God's people, become holy. Do you get it? They serve, they were the Lord's. I couldn't think of a better phrase than this. Lock, stock and barrel. We need to find another way of saying absolutely everything, don't we? This is picked up in the New Testament. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied this. That the Lord was sending the Messiah to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. I want to tell you that is the passion and purpose of God. That you and I might serve Him all our days without fear, but in holiness and righteousness. Here it is concerning the church in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every blessing of the Spirit, that literally what he is, in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now get this why did he choose us? That we would be holy and blameless before him. Your salvation, your calling, your election is not random. It has a purpose, and the purpose just got named, right there. It got, just got spelled out before your eyes, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And towards the end of that epistle, writing about marriage and about Christ and His church, and mixing the two together, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, set her apart. Make her holy. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, should be a capital W there, that he might present to himself the church. This is, you know, the picture is of the bride being presented on the, on, on, on the wedding day. Chill on so just recently. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Christ will have a holy bride, a clean, pure bride. The Holy Spirit is working holiness in us. Let me give you a definition from the from Hastings Bible Dictionary on holiness. I like this too. Our destiny is that we are the ones who are, and here's the quote, beloved of God, who by faith and love have entered into fellowship with him, and who who by obedience to his will and by purity of life have become conformed to the image of his Son. If we are the children of God, we are being brought to bear his likeness or image. That doesn't mean we become gods. It means we become like the man Christ Jesus. His character is to be developed and matured in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. Actually, sanctification and holiness in our English New Testaments translate Greek words that are really the same. They have the same root. But we tend to use the word sanctification to mean the the process by which the Holy Spirit does this. The onward progression of this development of a holy life. The Spirit of holiness is making us holy. Let me give you a headline again. The purpose of salvation is sanctification. I don't know why he saved me. I've just told you. That's why he saved you. So that he might make you holy and blameless before him. That you might live all your days without fear in in holiness and righteousness. Some of us think we can be saved but avoid uh, being sanctified. It's all right, I'll go to heaven as I am. That option is not an offer. No deal.
1: <laughs>
0: That's not how grace works. Let me show you the scripture. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, that is those who believe, of course, instructing us to deny, to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires, desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Jesus just got called God there, notice. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's, the, that's drenching holiness in bigger words. He's purifying a people for himself for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. The grace of God has appeared, letting us off the hook for whatever we do. No, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to to live holy. To live holy. So let me give you a longer definition or a longer headline. The purpose of salvation is sanctification. And sanctification is the ongoing process of salvation. It's how we are now being saved. The ongoing work of the Spirit, producing more and more of the character of Jesus in us, is how we are now being saved. Put it another way, it's how we're now being prepared for heaven. Do you know we need to prepare for heaven? How many of you go on holiday without packing a bag? How many of you move house without getting stuff into boxes?
1: <laughs>
0: no. And yet we think we'll just stroll around through life and wonder, "Oh, I'm in heaven." No. No. We are to be preparing because he's preparing, yeah. and he's preparing a place for us and he's preparing us for the place. Mm-hmm. And we think we had done have anything to do? Why <laughs> What? Sanctification is the process of us being prepared for heaven. Sorry, I'll give you a scripture of that one. We should always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. Now what notice this? For salvation, yes, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We are saved through the process of sanctification. That's God's will. If you're God's child, chosen from the beginning, you must be put through the process that Paul describes there, salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and in the truth. And notice two things there that work in that. Faith and truth. Without the truth, our faith would have no aim. It could be mistaken and completely misguided. People believe all kinds of stuff. Because as G.K. Chesterton once said, when people stop believing the truth, they believe anything. So it's got to be truth-centered. But then it needs to be faith with the truth. Faith means also obedience. Truth will measure us but won't motivate us. It can reprove us but not reform us if we don't answer it with obedience. We're just, we're just ticked off by the truth. Oh, well, I don't like hearing that. Because you won't hear it with faith and obedience. But his word is the word of grace when we are willing to receive it and obey it. We are cleansed and washed and made clean by exposure to the truth. Read that in in Ephesians. Jesus told his disciples they were clean because of the word that he'd spoken to them. That's in John 15. And then in John 17 he prays in that wonderful prayer. These two phrases from that prayer. Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then chapter 17, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Well, how did he make himself more holy? He's dedicating himself to the cross. That's what he's saying there. He's dedicating, dedicating himself to the purpose of God, which at that moment is to go to the cross within literally hours from him praying this prayer. That they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Truth, Scripture, challenges our minds and hearts. It speaks to our conscience. Our thinking needs to be formed so that our character and conduct is reformed. We're challenged and changed by exposure also to the person and presence of the Lord. How many of you have ever been deeply kind of moved and affected by sensing the presence of the Lord? Somewhere in your life. It's like, it's like the searchlight was on, wasn't it? Wow! And at the one point, you—I don't know about you. Let me talk about my experience of those moments. I realize how great He is and how holy He is, but how much He loves me. And that just just throws me into such a confusion and turmoil. You know, He's full of light and He sees me exactly as I am, and yet He loves me. Wow! Those moments are defining moments. Because there are moments when we need to respond to the light. He who loves God comes to the light. That his deeds may be reproved, they, they may be searched. David, talked about David on his worst day, you know, uh, sleeping with Bathsheba, killing her husband, and covering it up. And other days, good days, better days for David, he prayed like this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And, leave me in the way of everlasting. Not, oh, I'm not going near the light. It's like, oh yeah, I need to come to the light. We are challenged and changed by exposure to the presence and person of the Lord. You might like this scripture. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, we don't see it fully, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Who we seeing? Jesus. Who are we being made more like? Jesus. From glory to glory. One degree of glory to another. Just as from the Lord the Spirit. The Spirit is doing this. It's not self-help, it's not self-evident. The Spirit is doing this. But we need to cooperate. You can't be exposed to the presence of the Lord but there's light searching you. Godly men in the Scriptures understood that. Yet in every one of those biblical accounts... God acted in grace and mercy to his servants, cleansing and commissioning them. He meets us with grace and mercy to cleanse us, change us, and commission us. And then the third way that we're changed. We are challenged and hopefully changed by the circumstances and hardships of life. But it depends on how we handle them. When these hard circumstances, pressing situations... Come to us. Do we handle them with faith and prayer and submission to God and hope? Do we affirm God is God and He's my God and He's He's going to catch me through this. He's going to bring me through this. Or do we settle to grumble and complain, to be resentful and bitter? They're not called tests and trials for nothing, you know. They test us out. It's a testing of our faith when those hardships come. Hebrews 12, oh, I could get into that whole chapter, but I don't, I can't. You need to read it. How God disciplines us to make us holy, Hebrews 12. Just this phrase. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Those are three main tools the Holy Spirit uses to God's purpose and process to make us holy, more like our Lord Jesus. We are people who are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a sign we are the children of God that he hasn't done finished with this yet, and there's a process still going on. That's the work of the Holy Spirit on us, to form the character of Jesus in us. We learned it in the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself concerning the Holy Spirit, that according to Jesus, the work of the Spirit is to bring Jesus to us and form Jesus in us. Yes? Keep presenting Jesus to us and forming more of his character in us. The Holy Spirit will lead us and teach us and challenge us and change us, but we need to cooperate and not resist or grieve him. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit in us to bring us to be the redeemed, rescued, righteous people we are called to be, those saved by the Lord Jesus to be the dear children of God. But I must tell you that Scripture tells us not just to submit to this process, but actually to pursue it. To run in this way. Some of you, no matter how older you might be getting or whatever, will still at at moments be running for a bus. Yeah? No, I'm not letting that one go. I'm going to go. You know, you know, some of us, we think, oh, I'm not a runner. There are moments when we remember how to run. <laughs> the Christian life is, in a number of places in scriptures, described as a race. Not because we're competing with other people, but there's something to go for. There's a reward, there's a crown, there's a prize, there's something to run for. And in that context, the Scripture talks about pursuing holiness. Not, a, not, not, not avoiding and rejecting, nor even just, well, oh, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Running, pursuing. Paul writes to Timothy like this twice. Flee from these things. I'm not going to read what those things were. You can look that up. You, man of God, and pursue, pursue Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Very Christ like characters? Yes, exactly. Becoming more like Jesus. But it's good to spell it out sometimes, as the fruit of the Spirit does. This is what it looks like. And then, second letter to the same young man Flee from youthful lusts, appetites, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And in his general letter to the Hebrews, and again one verse from Hebrews 12, one more. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Ooh, ow. Ouch. That's a serious, sober statement of Scripture which if it doesn't give us pause to think, it should. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, same word as holiness, this is the same Greek word, without which no one will see the Lord. We shouldn't be patting on ourselves on the back that I gave my life to Jesus. When i you know, and I'm. We should be pursuing holiness. In fact, the mark of someone who's been born again and and has received the grace of God is they're going after more grace. Well, they're content with the bit they've got, and that'll do me fine until I get to heaven. Thank you very much. They're pursuing more grace. They're pursuing the love of God. Pursue righteousness, holiness, sanctification. How? Well, the first... How is how not to. You do not make yourself a list of do's and don'ts. That's called legalism. And holiness is not a code. It's, it, it, you know, some people define holiness and some, cr- some movements of churches have done this. You know, the holiness movements, the Seventh-day Adventists at different times. Some of them have got into these things. You know, okay, to be holy. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't, you don't, um, you don't dance. You know, I'm sorry I'm falling into an American accent doing this. <laughs> he don't drink, he don't smoke, he don't dance, he don't chew, he don't go, he don't, he don't go to shop on Sundays, he's a righteous dude. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with it. You cannot define holiness by any list of do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Because at the, it's at the heart of it, it's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. It's a heart issue. It's loving God from a pure heart. But it is choosing, because you love God, to do the right thing and rejecting the wrong thing. It's making choices on the, on the basis of what you prefer, on the basis of your values. No, I love God, therefore. Every one of those choices is character for me. Character is made by the choices we make. And the way to build a better character and a new character, is start to make better choices and better actions. See, some of us want to be sanctified holy. You know, the part of the holiness movement of the Wesleyan kind of background believed in perfect sanctification. You could have an experience of receiving the Spirit and after that you were completely holy and you didn't sin anymore. And now I could have some fun with that. I'd go and wind that person up. And I'd check it out. See if I could make them do something. If they could make them angry and you know swear or do something, you know. It's not true. Holiness, sanctification is progressive. Do you make some progress one day, it's something, isn't it? We're to run. We've got somewhere today. At least I, at least I made one better choice today, and I'm going to make some more tomorrow. Making choices, deciding your actions, is character forming. The way we got into bad character is we made wrong choices. We chose to accept, you know, the extra drinks. We chose to take the drug. We did whatever. To accept the come on from this person. We made wrong choices. The way we build good characters, is we make better choices. How do we do that? Through the strengthening presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's some headlines. You know I like writing these kind of things. Because of this connection, we make choices. Because we are the Lord's, Because of relationship with Christ, we pursue righteousness. Faith in the Lord leads us to faithfulness to the Lord. That we're desperate not to dishonor Him, but to glorify Him. And salvation is worked out in sanctification. Okay, you go got that on the notes. And practical holiness comes down to making choices. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. That's your body and your soul. That's the whole of you. There's nothing else left now, you know? It, it, when, when it says flesh and spirit or body and soul, that's, the, that's you. That's all of you. No, no bit left out. Yeah? Lock, stock and barrel again. <laughs> Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The general pattern of Paul's letters is to present great truths to us that we're now the children of God through faith in his Son who went to the cross for us and rose again for us. And, and then when he's done all of that laying out of great gospel grace doctrine... There's a therefore, isn't there? And there's practical instructions. Okay, now, let's get to grips with life. And he urges us to make choices and conduct ourselves as those dear children of God for whom Christ died. Here's just one example, Ephesians. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts or appetites of deceit, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or be renewed in your mind by the spirit. Is another way of translating that, which I prefer. Capital S. Let the spirit renew your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's the way. Pete, that's the way Paul generally writes. Because these things are true, you understand this gospel, you understand this grace of God, therefore, respond in this way. Lay aside your old ways, your old life. Be renewed in your mind that your whole body and soul, flesh and spirit, respond to God in holiness and obedience, in faith. Peter, though, Has a different way of writing. He doesn't save that till chapter 3 or 4. He dives straight in. Here is the very beginning of Peter's first letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, chosen by the elect will of God to be sanctified by the Spirit. I don't know why I'm saying, yes, I've just told you again why you're saying. To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And again, we're not on chapter 1 when he says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Pursue. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation, the appearing of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former appetites which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior or conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is what we were made for. This is what Jesus died and rose again for. This, I have to tell you, is why you're here this Sunday morning. This is what the Holy Spirit is most wanting to do in us, to make us more holy, more like the man Christ Jesus. more dedicated to love to God in love, and faith, and obedience, more clean, more whole, more true, more confident and constant by faith in His grace. One of the simplest ways to think of holiness is really this, wholeness, oneness. Remember I said God is holy, God is one, The two are very connected. It's a difficult thing to do in our language, but one and holy are very connected. So I want to give you two simple things to take away today. Two simple headlines. Who's number one? I said on a Sunday morning recently when I'd moved well off my notes for a while, you're not number one, he is. Do you remember that? To pursue holiness, don't firstly think about yourself and what you need to fix. Fix your attention upon the Lord. Fix your attention on Him. Start to listen. Don't think you've got to clean yourself up and make yourself acceptable to then come in. You, you come as you are, but you are, you're ready to respond, to listen, to obey. Fix your attention upon Him. I already said that one of the ways we find ourselves being challenged and changed is by seeing, encountering him. Is he the Lord? Is he number one? Do you use an expression we've fallen out of using in modern times? Do you love the Lord? Every now and again, I I, I check check myself out on that one. You know, there's a Whitney Houston version of I Love the Lord. It's an old gospel (laughs) choir song there. I remember that and I kind of sing it and I think, do I? okay, is that what I mean? Do I mean that? Best I know, I'll go with that, I mean it. I could use words like consecration and dedication, but, you know, the idea of consecration and dedication is so often that of a, a sacrifice lying on an altar. Well, the sacrifice is dead, it's not going to go and do anything. And the issue for us is not whether we make, a, make some act of sacrifice to God and say, here I am, take me, but what we do when we walk away again. Practical choices, practical life. Everyday ordinary stuff becomes holiness to the Lord. But I'll put it this way, very, very simply, very fundamentally. Who's number one? Who's number one? We sang earlier, From My Heart to the Heavens. But because I was aware of what I'm preaching this morning, I thought, my problem's the other way around. I need From the Heavens to my Heart. I know he's he's number one in the universe. I know he's king and and, and lord of all in creation. Is he lord of my heart? So for me, it's the other way around. From the heavens to my heart, please. Jesus be the center. See, does your heart say, I'm my own person, I'll do what I like? Or does it say, with scripture backing, I'm not my own. He bought me by his blood, and I am his. It's a little phrase in one Peter chapter three, which I remembered this morning. Sanctify, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts. You might have Jesus on a picture in a picture on the wall. You might have Jesus in a, in a text frame somewhere in your house. You might, you know, you might sing about him quite often. But this, you see, holiness is a heart issue. Is Jesus number one? Here. Set apart your heart. In your heart, I should say, that Jesus is Lord. Of what? Of everything. The whole thing. The first key is setting him as first, not me. Then, coming to him, drawing near to him, hearing and receiving from him his word, his grace, his light, his fire, to cleanse and to change us. You know, there's a that old... Um, Salvation Army hymn, send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. And people sing it nowadays like it's a hoedown hillbilly song. But it starts out with these very, very serious words. Oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. To where? Them over there, them sinners. No, here, this one. Set apart in your hearts, Christ Jesus, Lord. Receive His grace to cleanse and to chain us. And then, number two again, very simple. Be one person. A holy life is a unified life, it's one life. One life. Apologies to whoever I borrowed that image from. One life may have nothing to do with Christianity. Be one person, living one life, without pretense and deception, without masks. God is one. He's consistent. He's unchanging. Therefore, we are told he is holy. How many faces of masks do you and I have? Who are you in church? Then who are you in the home? And who are you at work? Isn't living all of those kind of things hard work? Oh, nearly slipped there. I nearly did at home what I only do at church, and I I just nearly did at church what I usually only do at work. That's hard work, isn't it? Tough. The old song says, Make it easy on yourself. Living one life is a whole lot easier than trying to be three different people in three different places. I promise you, it makes life a lot simpler. It's a key to doing this, pursuing holiness. Be one person living one life. How many things are we trying to keep hidden from others and even stupidly think we can hide from God? To pursue holiness is to welcome his light, his truth, to correct me, to direct me. To acknowledge those things in which I know I need to change and seek God's grace and help from others even to do so. To offer myself to the Lord for a thorough clean-up. And, you know, you read Psalm 51, when David was discovered, when what he tried to keep hidden was redone. He appeals to God, oh, please, please make me clean.
1: Yeah?
0: Renew a right spirit within me. To learn to live one life in relationship with him. One old vineyard song I remember It says, holiness is your life in me. It is, amen. Living one life, being the same person, living by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, that is the beginning of holiness. Not different persona, not different masks, not different ways of speaking. I think we're smart enough to put it down and pick up the other one and One life. One, 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 one life. God is one. And in a sense, he wants me to be one. Look. Blackpool Rock has Blackpool written right through it, yeah? The life of a Christian should have Christian belonging to God written right through it. Every department of life Every bit of what who we are and what we do, what we own and how we handle those things, what we earn and how we handle that money, even how we earn it—is this Christian? Is this holy? One life. Here's a scripture. 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, I should have done that minutes ago. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old life is gone. It was crucified with Christ. I no longer live with that old man, that old person. But I'm still alive and the life I'm now living, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He could have said as well, "And I, I live by the help of the Holy Spirit. who is at work in me too. Having died with Christ and having been buried with him in baptism, listen to this, going back to my old way of life is like digging up and dancing with a corpse. Is that an ugly thought? That's what it is to go back to your old ways to revisit your old sins. I'll just go back to that old habit again. I know how to get out of it again. No, you've just dug up and danced with a corpse. I'm just amplifying some of the language of Romans, which we haven't got time to go into today. To be holy is to be whole. To live one life, no masks, living consistently as a faithful, obedient Child of God. I'm going to hit you with a few more phrases because I I do believe the uh, the Lord helps me to write them, you know, when I'm sitting there. So don't be surprised if one or two of these hit home. A divided heart is an unhappy heart. When you're bashing between two opinions, you're not happy. You're trying to be this, and you're trying to be that, and you, you, you're trying to be both. You're not happy. And an afflicted conscience, when you know you're in the wrong, is a sore wound to bear. It's painful. Let me give you three pointers, three kind of stages in life. They're not, they're not clearly demarked, that one, and then there's this one. And they're kind of on a scale bit like, you know, the, you, you do the temperature in an oven, you know, from cold right up to really, really hot. You know, there's, there's a scale here. But I'm going to describe three positions that you and I may be in. When we resist this work of the Holy Spirit, pursuing salvation through sanctification, things tend to go hard for us. We find ourselves in depression and difficulty. And then when that happens, you can name and claim stuff all you like, but resisting the spirit of holiness will tend to put you in a hard place. Okay, I've been there. Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah. When we cooperate, things go better. Things don't go better with Coca-Cola, they go with cooperation. Things go better for us as Christians when we are cooperative, when we're obedient, when we're humble. And even if circumstances are hard, we can have confidence in the Lord because we've got a clean conscience. That's what John says. If our conscience doesn't accuse us, then we have confidence before God. So we can say, Lord, I don't know what's happening here. Please help me. And we're, but we're confident and hopeful in his hand coming to help us because we're not being accused in our conscience. We can have confidence in him. We can even rejoice in him. We can give thanks in those circumstances because we believe he's going to help us, going to bring us through. The third one is this. When we actively pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord, listen, we cause God to rejoice. We gladden his heart. And there is nothing Nothing in the universe better than knowing the joy and pleasure of God. In fact, the best thing in heaven is summed up in these words. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Psalm says... In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We may know a taste of that joy, that pleasure of God, when He commends us in our heart and says, Well, You and I, I'm not excluding any one of you, you and I can all know that in this life, in wonderful moments, when we've cooperated with the Holy Spirit, we've made the right choice, we've taken the right action, and heaven says, well done. I'm describing to you the realities of life, am I? This is practical, real life stuff and the consequences, therefore, of our choices, we can move from being in a place where neither we nor God are happy about the way we are to being content and confident in Him or even to causing Him to rejoice over us. Our Heavenly and Good Father says this to us. We sing, you're a good, good father. Well, this is one of the things the good, good father says to us. It issues from his heart, his voice, continually, be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to live in harmony with himself. To live as one prophet, of the Old Testament says, to dwell with eternal burnings. That's not a prophecy about hell. That's describing what it's like to be in the presence of God. Light and fire, yet at the same time, joy and peace and beauty. Here's a prayer. You probably noticed I slowed down because I was rabbiting away. Here's a prayer from 1 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts to heart issue he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Pursue holiness. This is not a whatever. This is a must be, must happen. Let's pray. Let's pray heads I'm not in the business, you know, of upsetting people. (laughs) But some people will not have liked what I was saying this morning. I know some people did definitely not like what I was saying this morning. But if you can show me that this is not the word of God, and this is not the grace of God, and this is not what we're called to as Christians... This is the defining issue of our lives is that we become more and more the dear children of God, living by his grace and living the way he wants us to as his dear children. People that he can commend rather than have to correct all the time. Then you show me and I'll retract every word. The Lord, your grace comes to us with truth, and your truth always brings us your grace. Paul said that the gospel was the word of your grace. And your gospel, Lord, is not just for people out there who don't believe you. It is for us who have believed so that we are shaped by the gospel, reformed, remade. Into what? Well, you tell us it's into a particular image. It's the character of your dear son. with particular values, with particular emphases. And so we submit our hearts before you today, Lord. We would even dare to pray some prayers like David said, search me, you know my heart, but if you make me know it, let my cry be, oh God, please change me. We receive your word, we receive your purpose, for it is your purpose to present every one of your children faultless before your presence. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your authority and your grace in that you are at work in us to do what is pleasing to our Father. Help our hearts to respond, our ears to listen, our feet to turn, our wills to make better decisions and choices so that Jesus may be more honoured and even more honoured in our lives. And, oh God, pray with the psalmist, unite my heart to fear your name. Help me to be one person, living one life, for your glory. Amen. Amen. <coughs> We're going to break bread together. Um, and uh, I didn't ask anyone to... Would four people come out and help us? Thank you. The oh, show going away. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, Dean and Maxine. And, uh, yeah, yep. you too, please. Val and Barbara. Get bread and wine taken both sides. We'll play some music in a moment. Jesus dedicated himself, sanctified himself to go to the cross and prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth. I've kind of dished out quite a lot of truth today. I pray that the prayer of Jesus might be answered, that some of that will work in you to bring you, to pull you more towards this great purpose of God in working holiness in your heart and in mine. But we are bought. We are owned. We are redeemed. We're not our own. (laughs) We're not our own. We belong to him. We celebrate that again as we take bread and wine together today. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. The body and blood of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand up and we'll move around and we'll do this together. Thank you. So, breaking bread, if anybody would like someone to pray with them, please come forward. Carol and I will come and pray. Sue will come and pray. I'll find others as well. this Thank
1: you. On the day
0: that death surrendered To the mighty cross of Jesus Christ
1: The earth would shake beneath the weight of darkened